It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. From Amari, Christian, Skyler, Caitlin, Nolade, Jordan, Antonio, Eddie, and the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a great show in store today coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. It seems appropriate with skiing season uh, coming up very, very quickly. Uh, we're going to talk with National Geographic contributor Gordy Magro, and uh, he uh, helped put together uh, a book that, from National Geographic called 100 Slopes of a Lifetime. It's an encore, but it seems appropriate this time of year. Uh, Coming up in the middle of our three-hour tour, in the uh, second hour, a new new book that's actually coming out in um, graphic novel format uh, addresses global warming from uh, director, inventor, academic, and author of the book Dry, Stefan Stewart and Stefan will join us uh, in the second hour. 
But coming up first, we're going to talk about immigration in a uh, first-of-its-kind book from uh, national and internationally uh, recognized um, immigration attorney. The book is called Journeys from There to Here, um, which focuses on uh, the stories of 11 of her pro bono clients. Her name is Susan Cohen. She joins me by phone. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the show. Tom, it's so good to be with you and all of your listeners. Thank you. And, and uh, we actually uh, had this scheduled a week ago, but there was a, a, the studio was down because of Internet problems, and you rescheduled. And I'm really glad that you were able to reschedule and that we're able to have this conversation and that you can find out it's not always a train wreck here. <laughs> I'm not worried. You know, I put that in the category of life happens. That's yeah. right. That's right. Te- these things happen. Technology's great when it works. Um, <laughs> but but let's talk about um, about this. What this is being called a a first of its kind book because of the way it it shares the stories of some immigrants and and some of these are pretty moving stories. Um, how did this book come about? How did you decide to share? Uh, the story, the stories rather of of some of your clients, and how willing were they to have their stories told publicly? Thanks for that question. So, just to put this in a little bit of context, so I've been practicing immigration law for thirty six years, and I've been with the same law firm, uh, a very large national uh, national corporate law firm called Mintz Levin, which is headquartered in Boston, but has offices in many cities in the United States. I developed the immigration practice there. So I've been at the same law firm uh, and for a very long time from the inception of a nonprofit organization that arose in the Boston area called PAIR, which is the Political Asylum Immigration Representation Project. I had the good fortune of being able more than 30 years ago now, to take Pear's very first asylum case. Pear was um, brought into being to address a problem that people recognized that there wasn't a solution for at the time, which was that in the area where I I live, uh, we had a lot of people who had fled from their countries for various reasons that would be sufficient to qualify them to claim political asylum in the United States, reasons like, for example, uh, being persecuted for practicing their religion or advocating the freedom of religion, being persecuted for expressing their views in favor of democracy and in opposition to the totalitarian or dictatorial regimes that they were living in, things like that, the reasons that can support an asylum case. But they couldn't afford a lawyer And there really wasn't a vehicle for those people to find a lawyer who could represent them pro bono without having to pay, which they didn't have the money for. So Pear came into existence, and I I was fortunate to take their first case, and then it was so compelling for me. I did this pro bono in addition to all my paying immigration work. 
that over the years I was always raising my hand and working with this organization to see if I could take more cases because, Tom, these are such meaningful experiences for for a lawyer to be in a position to be able to save someone's life when truly, in so many cases, these individuals sitting in front of you at your conference room table, would they should they be forced back, deported back to their country, um, would likely be executed. It's a very heavy burden. So it, has, it was an honor for me, and it still is, to do these kinds of cases pro bono for all these different people that I had the privilege of meeting and, and working with. Um, so many of the stories in this book are uh, stories of asylum seekers, but not all of them. I also feature people from all over the world, from all different regions of the world, men and women, who had applied to immigrate to the United States to seek a green card here on the basis of a lot of different pathways in our immigration law. You know, our law provides a lot of different pathways just to permanent residence status. Some of the people in the book uh, got their, their, their status ultimately because they're so remarkable and extraordinary in their particular fields, um, in the arts, in the literature, in the sciences, um, and... Uh, some of them came because of family relationships based on being married to an American citizen, for example, or, you know, that kind of close family relationship that provides a pathway. But the reason I actually wrote the book is because I was in the trenches, as always, trying to help individual clients access the immigration system and the benefits to which they were actually entitled uh, just about all of my clients have come to the United States illegally, um, as, as have many, you know, the, the vast majority of people who are immigrants to the United States. Um, but in the prior administration, things were very, very difficult. There's, the system was being tightened, and, there, you know, our prior administration had a very nativist, anti-immigrant, restrictionist approach to, to immigration. And... It felt like the noose was being tightened every day around the necks of not just my clients, but all immigrants. And our systems were being um, weakened. The rule of law was being threatened. Our legal precedents and principles were not being applied. People were being hired based on their political views and not their ability to do the job inside the agencies, especially the judges in the immigration courts. And it was, became a very hostile environment, and I was very worried, and I, was, I couldn't sleep. And I paced my house in the middle of the night every night, wondering what could I do besides representing my individual clients. I was always, you know, trying to come up with more things to help people because that's why I do what I do, to help people. And I felt that an unfair, untrue portrait of immigrants was being painted in this country, um, stereotyping everyone. Yeah, you said a couple of things that, that got my attention. Most of us, when we hear immigrants, we think first of illegal or barely legal immigrants. And then we think of people that are escaping some horrible conditions in their home country and are coming here virtually penniless. And you talked about some of the cases being pro bono along with your paying immigration cases. What, yes. kind of, what kind of immigration cases actually pay? 
most of them do. You know, I'm happy to report. But but I but <laughs> is, isn't that largely that, because a lot of people that have trouble with the immigration system here are people who are trying to legally immigrate um, and and yeah, and the vast majority of and, people and they're professionals who you know yes. have a place they're coming from and a place they're landing and the system. It has just become complicated. So in a lot of cases, yes. there are immigrants who can afford to pay an attorney to sort Absolutely. it out. Absolutely. And the way that our immigration law set up in the United States and our statute, the Immigration and Nationality Act, um, there's a family pathway based on a close family relationship to an American citizen and their green card holder. Then there's asylum, which we might talk a little bit more about later. But there's a whole pathway with lots of different routes within it to getting a status based on employment in the United States, both temporary employment and permanent, you know, an offer of permanent employment. And individuals, individual immigrants actually are not even permitted to apply for that in most cases, except for rare exceptions, like people who absolutely are extraordinary um, at the very, very top 1% of their field in the whole world. Everyone else, is sponsored by a U.S. employer for their immigration status. All the different types of work visas that we have, and it's an alphabet soup. All of our work visas are named after letters of the alphabet. People might have heard, for example, of the H-1B visa for people who are professionals who are doing a job that requires at least a specialized bachelor's or higher degree, and the employer only sponsors immigrants, people who are non-Native Americans for these positions, for these visas, when they have tried to fill the position in most cases, uh, they've, in, they've, they've advertised and, and recruited and interviewed a lot of different candidates. And they just say, you know, this person, you know, John Smith, has the best skills, has the most relevant experience, did his research thesis or whatever the case may be, and exactly the problem we're trying to solve, and nobody else came close to him. We want to hire him, and then John Smith says, Thank you very much. I will uh, may require a visa if you'd like me to work for you. And, and that's why employers then hire immigration lawyers to sponsor the immigration cases for all the people they've decided are the best ones for the job. And, um, you know, no employer is seeking foreign workers, in my experience, because it's expensive. You have, they have to hire a lawyer. They have to pay very expensive filing fees to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. It's unclear whether the result will be approved on approval or not. And, and so there are a lot of pain in the neck steps that people have to take, companies have to take, institutions, hospitals. You know, I, I represent hospitals. I represent research institutions. Every kind of company you can imagine, from Fortune 100 companies to startups um, founded by foreign entrepreneurs, for example. Um, and I represent sports teams. For, they, have, they need these too. You know, athletes need these too. Susan, I hate to interrupt, but I have to go to a break here. Um, but I'm hoping you can stick around because I want to talk some more about this. No, please, please do. Okay. Um, my guest is uh, Susan Cohen. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming the show, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back.
Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated, it's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. 
and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. From Alicia, Elena, Gabriella, Erica, and the Tom Sumner Program. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue my conversation with immigration attorney and the author of a new book called Journeys from There to Here, Susan Cohen. She joins me by phone. Hi, Susan. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Well, it's fun to listen to that. <laughs> um, during the, the last segment, you talked a little bit about how complicated the uh, immigration system is, and that was one of the things that, um, and some of the stories that um, you had experienced uh, through some mm-hmm. of your pro bono work. And, and I guess it, it kind of explains why you want to share these stories with people, but who are you hoping will read this book. I mean, I know the answer is everybody, but mm. <laughs> but uh-huh, is, yeah. is there an audience think, that you hope will will read this book? Yes, that's a great question, and I, I'm going to answer it. I think the people who will get the most out of reading this book are a few different groups of people. One, people who really don't know immigrants very well, maybe don't have an, an immigrant as a friend or a co-worker or don't know that someone may be an immigrant who is a friend or a co-worker and, and don't really know how it all works because we hear a lot of stories and we hear a lot about immigration in the news that makes it seem like it might be one way. You hear a lot of people, for example, say, well, why can't they all wait in line? Um, and that's kind of just, it's a misdirected question because so many people do approach immigration properly. And in many of the stories in my book, I tell, um, you know, it, it, you're reading it and in intimately connecting with each person going through the process from the very beginning, you know, understanding why they came in the first place until the very end of the process. And it's very intricate and you develop a really close rapport and connection with this person and you grow to really appreciate and understand all the hoops they have to jump through. So it's for people who don't know that much about the immigration process. You can really learn a lot about how U.S. immigration works, different pathways. You can learn a lot about what it's really like to be going through this process, the anxiety the fear, even for my Fortune 100 CEOs, people have no idea how anxiety-producing the process is. Um, and you, um, you learn, you know, if you don't know much about how it works. Unfortunately, in this book, you see examples of the way that well-meaning immigrants who have done everything right can actually 
find themselves at, at the, you know, at, at the abyss of, of deportation because our own agency has made mistakes that were um, completely improper and, and has messed up the person's immigration case despite the fact that the individual did everything right himself or herself. And it takes a, a, a good lawyer to turn those things around. And you see, you can see how this can play out where, you know, you can dispel a number of myths by reading this book and also become really impressed and enamored of these wonderful people who want so much to give back to this country and are giving back. So it's for people who don't know that much about the immigration process. You learn a lot by reading this book. Um, and it's riveting, actually. You know, people say it's a page turner. They, you, know, you don't know what's going to happen next. Was the person going to be allowed to stay? Or, you know, they're going to be deported. Well, if they go, you know, if, they're, if they're kicked out, what will become of them? Will they be assassinated? That kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, it's also for people who may be against immigrants for one reason or another and think that immigrants uh, are not helping the United States and hurt for some reason think they're hurting the United States because the only way to counter, I think, um, broad brush stereotypes about immigrants is to read individual stories. So this is a storytelling exercise where you take a deep, deep dive into the lives of these 11 different human beings from all different walks of life, highly skilled scientists, CEOs, and you know, nurses' aides working on the front line of COVID and people, you know, for example, in the last chapter of my book, I have a story about a, a man who was one of the lost boys of Sudan who walked 1,000 miles to try to escape the civil war in Sudan, lost his mom along the way. Thousands of people perished on that walk. He survived, and, and then he came to the United States, and, and he should have had a very simple process to sponsor his, his, the love of his life who he met at his refugee camp after he became a U.S. citizen here to sponsor her to come with him. And it's unbelievable what happened to him. You, could, you can't imagine the mistakes that our own government could make and all the ways sometimes people try to have Congress people help them and try to figure out what's going on. They don't know why their case isn't moving along. They don't know why it's not getting approved. It's approvable. And, and you can see, you know, how it is for a person going through this process, not knowing until the very end if it's all going to turn out okay, you know, and if they're, if they're going to be able to continue to live safely and contribute and work in this country, you know. So it, it's very eye-opening. <laughs> you know, in that case of the, the lost boy of Sudan, um, I remember having somebody on my show who had been one of the one of the boys that survived that that thousand mile journey mm -hmm. and i'm just i'm just wondering if uh if it might not be the same person but um you never know you know but the this these folks that you know process for refugee visas overseas you know the audience might not know how long the waiting time is to get a refugee status here people have to wait in refugee camps all over the world to be granted permission to come, lots of background checks, incredibly strict vetting. Um, they, get, they get vetted and have more security background checks than any other group of people that comes to the United States. And sometimes it takes 10 or 15, sometimes 17, 18 years for that process. And they're different people by the time they come than when they applied. They're grown up, you know. Um, but they all 
are so grateful for the opportunity to come here. And this boy, now man in my story, you know, vowed, like every single person in my story, when you read this story, they vowed that if they were going to be given permission to actually be allowed to live in this incredible country, that they would do everything they could with their life to give back. And that's a very common story, and it's a very common theme in the book, but it's not just the people in my book. They're representatives of millions of other immigrants who want to help make this country great and to give back and contribute. You can see what the people do by reading the book. I don't want to give it all away, but each one of them is doing unbelievable work and volunteering in their communities and in their houses of worship and their faith communities as well. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive, and I, I'm honored, Tom. It's been the honor of my life to get to meet these people and to see how resilient and strong they are, how much they love, you know, this way of life. Susan, are, they have something to compare it to, you know? Of course. Susan, are all of the, the stories, the 11 stories that you share in this book, Journeys from There to Here, um, are they all success stories? Because I, I just can't help wondering, um, you know, what happens to people right. who are not successful in this process. Well, the, the, the 11 stories in the book all turn out successfully. Um, you know, they, for one reason or, in, reason or another, these individuals got to me and I became their lawyer and I was not the first lawyer for many of the people and that's why they were on the, you know, edge of the abyss in, in many of these cases when they came to me. I, you know, they fortunately for, for whatever reason, I, I happen to be uh, quite good at what I do. And I'm, you know, I'm that lawyer of last resort for many people. And I was able to, with great difficulty in some of these cases, um, find evidence and the smoking gun, for example, uh, that other lawyers didn't uncover in their files by not digging hard enough and and, and getting, like, really rolling up their sleeves and going into the government's records to see the things the government did that were not correct. So a lot of people, you know, need a really good lawyer um, to win their immigration case. The rate of approval, for example, for immigrants with asylum applications who are represented by a lawyer compared to not having a lawyer, it's like, you know, 90%. 85 to 90% of people who have a lawyer are successful in their asylum cases compared to those who don't. So access to having a lawyer, having them, you know, someone who cares enough to, take, to do the hard work for them makes a big difference. But you're right, a lot of people's cases don't succeed. I have one anecdote in the, in the front of my book of a case that I was asked to get involved in when it was just about too late. There was a high school teacher in my community, who was a very beloved teacher from the Ivory Coast in Africa. He taught math at a, at a charter school in Boston that uh, was um, a very highly regarded school. And he taught high school math, and his students loved him so much. He was just one of those teachers that they just couldn't wait to get to his class. You know, he just was really warm and caring and funny and uh, they loved him, and the te and his te fellow teachers also really loved him, and the school principal, you know, with everyone really 
felt very warmly towards this guy. And one day he was driving to, to work and he got pulled over for, I think there was a tail light out or something on the back of his car. He got pulled over on a routine traffic stop and they ran a check on him. The police, local police ran a check on him and they found out that um, he had an outstanding warrant for his arrest for an immigration hearing. He had filed for asylum, I think without a lawyer, many years before that. And he had, unbeknownst to him, missed an immigration court date. And he had a warrant for his arrest. So on his way to teach in the morning, he was actually pulled over and then thrown in jail. He was booked and, and put into prison uh, because they said he had an outstanding warrant for deportation that he didn't know about. And the school administrators, the principal, um, and the mayor, and a lot of other people contacted me to see if I could help. And, I, and so I got his case very late in the game, and it was in a, in a pretty difficult um, posture to try to save, but I was able to help get him released and keep him here for a few more years, you know, in an attempt to overcome the problem. We had congressmen, you know, filing bills on his behalf, but nothing actually worked. He was able to teach for two more years and be in the community. Um, but in the end, you know, there, his problem was so severe that it was impossible to overcome legally and he ended up getting deported. And people do get deported sometimes for correct reasons and sometimes not. Um, so they don't always win, you know, it's true. Does the system need to be as complicated as it is? And um, do you have recommendations in mind and or in the book that, that might make it a little easier to navigate? I have a lot of recommendations and I have a... <laughs> I thought but, you might, so, Susan. <laughs> but, you know, so... I, I don't, it, this isn't a book for, you know, scholars or policy analysts. This is a book for regular people like you and me and the people who are listening to the show to understand, like, from a, you know, a, a personal point of view, as a human being, you can say to yourself, my God, what if something like that had happened to me? You know, how, how easily this could, you know, you know, that something can change in your life that all of a sudden puts you in a position where you have to flee your country and go to another country. It's terribly frightening and nobody wants to leave their country. They have to leave most of the time. Um, and, and so in the back of the book, I have a call to action time, which isn't policy recommendations, but it's steps that normal, real people, everyday people can take if they care or want to know more about immigrants. So I have a whole series of very practical ideas, any number of which, would, you know, if anyone did, would make a huge difference in our relations with each other as human beings and fellow, fellow you know, world travelers on this, you know, earth um, to understand people a little bit better. For example, I say in the back, in the call to action, one of the things in the back of the book is Ask someone what their life was like before they came here. Ask them, for example, what did they do for work before they came to the United States? People would be amazed to learn that so many people who are here because they, they had to leave for, for reasons beyond their control are doing 
jobs that may be important, and, and we need them to do them, um, but uh, no reflection, uh, do not reflect anything about what they did with their life before they came to this country. And people want to be asked about what they've sacrificed and what their life might have been like. If they don't, they'll tell you, but nine times out of ten, if you take an interest in an immigrant and ask them about themselves, they'll be so grateful. I also say to people, tell an immigrant that you know or you might just someone you might suspect is an immigrant, but you're glad they're here. There's, you know, it's so important to feel welcomed and to feel that you have worth as a human being, no matter what country you come from. You're a living, breathing human being with a heart and a soul, and you want people to care about you. And I also have, you know, suggestions for reform for the laws, and we can get into some of that. But the, the, one of the things that's really lacking, and, you know, our laws need to be, our immigration law hasn't been reformed since President Reagan was in office. And we need to totally, drastically rewrite our immigration laws to make them, you know, fit into today's world and society in the United States. Um, but one thing that's sorely lacking are the resources for enough officers to handle all the cases. The backlog, especially since President Trump took office and have continued to grow ever since, the backlogs for processing are just, don't bear any relationship to a normal society. You know, even to get a temporary work visa, it's supposed to be two or three months, it's taking almost a year for a visa that's supposed to be temporary. To get citizenship, it's supposed to be no more than six months from start to finish so we can mint our citizens. Uh, you know, those qualify for, that apply for naturalization to U.S. citizenship, it just should be more, no more than six months. It's taking 18 months in many states, in many parts of the country, um, you know, and green cards and, and work permits are, used to take 90 days are taking 10 months to get a work permit. And if someone doesn't have a work permit and they need one to be able to work, they're not allowed to work because it's illegal and they could be deported for working without permission. So people are even, you know, people who are high-tech employees, very educated people need work permits, are waiting ridiculous amounts of time. We need more officers. We need funding for more officers so that the cases get processed much more quickly. Is that likely to happen? What kind of changes are we, are, are we seeing with the Biden administration? <laughs> it's a million-dollar question. I mean, the Biden administration... Is, is very gung-ho on immigration reform, but, you know, the, the reality is that it's, the partisanship has, has never been more severe in Congress. You know, uh, people aren't seeing eye-to-eye on any number of things, including immigration. And every time someone proposes an immigration reform bill, it gets shot down. So I, I don't know if we're going to see immigration reform. Every president has tried to do it since President Reagan and it hasn't worked. Since, well, President Clinton made some immigration changes, but some of them were actually very punitive and harsh um, and, and have to be repealed. But um, one thing that's positive is in the Build Back Better bill, um, there is a lot of funding for the Afghan people, which is a huge crisis, as you know. You know, we, we, uh, we really owe a debt to the Afghan people for... for everything they've done. There's so many who have worked with the United States, so many who should get approved for humanitarian and other types of, of visas. But we don't have enough staff, and we're seeing, actually, there's a huge volunteer effort by lawyers all over the United States, which and I'm very proud of all, all of the people who have stepped up to volunteer to have that. Help the Afghan people now in the wake of the Taliban taking control of their country 
and, 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 and so many people are at risk in that country um, from the Taliban. People have cooperated with the United States. People worked with our military, but also people worked as translators for you know, NGOs and other nonprofit organizations and news agencies. Um, they have all applied for these special visas that the U.S. has invited them to apply for, but we don't have enough personnel to actually handle the cases and nothing is happening right now. So we invited, America invited Afghans to apply for special types of visas and, and, and no one knows why the government isn't processing them right now and, and uh, it may very well be because there aren't enough officers to handle this influx. The, the unit that was doing this consisted of eight people for the whole United States before inside the government. And now there's 30,000 pending applications from desperate Afghans trying to seek safety for themselves and their families. So thankfully, in this Build Back Better bill, there's, there's, a, there's money set aside to really ramp up humanitarian efforts, which I think that is really appropriate and needed. The Afghan people do need our help, um, and hopefully someday there will be a regime change, change in, in Afghanistan uh, because, you know, it's a pretty intolerable, dangerous state of affairs right now inside Afghanistan. And people, you know, are starving and there's, you know, there's, there's a famine, growing famine there and not enough water either. Uh, so it's, it's very sad. The name of the book is Journeys from There to Here, released in November of uh, 2021 by immigration attorney Susan Cohen. Susan, we're just about out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do, Tom. Thanks for that opportunity. And I just would like the listeners to know that any proceeds that I receive from the sale of this book are donating 100% to this political asylum organization called the PAIR Project. And you can find more information about the book and how you can get it on www.susanjcohen.com. That's S-U-S-A-N-J-C-O-H-E-N.com. And that's a website where you can also learn about book events and talks that are coming up. Well, Susan, thank you for spending this time with me this morning and sharing some of these stories with uh, me and the listeners and in the book. Um, I, I guess I'll just say thanks and keep up the good work. Thanks so much. It was so good to be with you and all of your listeners. Have a wonderful day. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That was uh, Susan Cohen. Um, she is... Uh, a nationally and internationally recognized immigration attorney and the author of a new book that just came out. I think uh, the release date was November 2nd of 2021 called Journeys from There to Here, um, which uh, outlines the story of uh, 11 of her pro bono clients uh, and, and provides... Uh, unprecedented access to their cases and backstories in what's being called a first-of-its-kind book. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. 
If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, and there's lots more of the Tom Sumner Program straight ahead, so don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. We will be back. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. 
We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program.com From Haley, Alex, Alexis, help! And the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The immigrants. Who are they? Where did they come from? Why did they come? From every direction and continent they came, answering Miss Liberty's call. Send me your tired, your poor. Your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. She lifts her lamp beside the golden door. And from the teeming shores, the wretched refuse came like hungry mosquitoes to the yellow porch light of freedom. This week on The Immigrants, The Hillbillies. And now your host, Gregory Puck. From every hillside in Europe, Discontented hillbillies voiced their dissatisfaction with living overseas. From Switzerland. Switzerland. The pants are too short. Yeah, and those frog skiers coming over the hills causing trouble. The cheese got holes in it. And hell, I'm a Baptist. I don't want to guard no Pope. Hey, in America, they got cheese in aerosol cans. From France. I don't like it here in France. Everyone's so snobby. Yeah, I can't read the menus. And everything here is so expensive. In America, you don't have to dress up, and you can get Levi's real cheap. From Italy. I don't like it here in Italy. I'm tired of sharecropping. Yeah, I'm losing our land to those big olive oil barons. Yeah, I got six little bambinas and a fat mama mia. And I can't hardly make it on the lira iron here. Yeah, and here you can't get no D-I-V-O-R-C-E. And so the great migration began. Throughout Europe, the roads were choked with hillbillies from every country. Yep. Where you from? I'm from the Urals, out Russia way. The Urals? I got some kin up there. You know the Fedeovich family? Yeah, Natasha Jean's a good friend of mine. She is? Well, she's my cousin. Well, where you headed out west? America. I hear the streets are paved with coal. Yep, it's true. And they got showers and real good telephone service, too. From such diverse seaports as Southampton, Rotterdam, and Marseille, they embarked on the arduous sea journey. That would cost some of them their lives, and many their lunch. Hey, strap that mattress to the side of the ship. All right, Paul. Grandma, you right up on top. On the top? Mm-hmm. In dark, dank, smelly steerage compartments, they huddled through the voyage, confiding in each other their pitiful hopes and dreams for the new land. Boy, I'm going to love it in America. 
I hear they got eggplants the size of your head. I'm going to pick me up a whole armload of eggplants and squash them all over my face. I'm going to hit myself in the head with big aubergines. Oh, yeah, I'm going to roll around in them. Eggplants the size of your head? Yep, and they got goiters as big as eggplants. Well, they got heads big as your goiter. And eggs the size of headplants. I'm going to get me a 56 Ford and put it up on blocks right on my front lawn. I'm going to get me a pickup truck and drive up and down the main street as long as I like. Yeah, and they got fine schools there, too. You can go right on up through the first grade. Not me. I'm just going to hang around bus stations spitting and picking my nose. Oh, and there's lots of old refrigerators for the kids to play in. Hey, friend, you want to move that fuzzy duffel bag so I can sit down? That's no duffel bag. That's my daughter, Fuzzy May. But you can sit on her just the same. Hey! Knock off that west ring down there and keep rowing! Or I'll crack this whip till your neck's turn red! Redneck? What kind of cracker is that? The hazardous journey was made even worse by the choking dust storms that plagued them every nautical mile of the way. After two long days at sea, a sharp-eyed hillbilly lookout with bad teeth sighted land. But didn't think it was important enough to mention. Hey, we're sinking. What? Women and children first. We're sinking. Unstrap that mattress. What? Hand me that fuzzy duffel bag. Oh, we're sinking. And so as their ship slowly sank in New York Harbor... The happy hordes of homely, humble hillbillies, hot-footed Hillworth. But first, a short stop at Ellis Island, where helpful immigration officials welcomed the new arrivals. Hey, you, Slimeface, you're next. Oh, me? Yeah, race. Hillbilly. Country of origin. Italy. Name? Name's Michelangelo Boonerotti. What kind of moniker is that for an American? From now on, you're MC Boone. Hey, you just stamped my hand. That's so if you go out, you can come back in again. Oh, I see. Next, name, Claude Debussy. Hey, Boone, wait. Huh? Forgot your duffel bag. Oh, come on, fuzzy mate. Debussy, you're Clyde Devins. Having completed processing, the friendships made on shipboard ended as they headed for their different destinations. Say, taxi! Where are you headed? Purse Island. I'm headed for Fort Leonard Wood. Fort Knox for me. I'm going to Lackland Air Force Base. Say, you mind if I strap my mattress to the side of the taxi? Grandma, you right up on top. On top. You coming, Lim? Nope, not me. I'm just going to hang around this here bus station, spitting and picking my nose. Well, if you're going to sit on that fuzzy duffel bag, don't be flicking boogers on it. And so they traveled, first into the heartland and then into the heart of America where their contributions are woven into the fabric of American culture. Hush puppies, crickets, rotten teeth, mental retardation, goiters, incest, genetic inferiority, black lung disease, fender skirts, cancer of the lip. The list goes on and on. And, of course, who can forget those noteworthy Americans who proudly call themselves hicks, crackers, rednecks, hillbillies. Minnie Pearl, Gomer Pyle, Andy Griffith, Robert and Jim Mitchum, Patsy Cline, Buddy Epson, Buddy Hackett, the Hills Brothers, the Bond Brothers, Julian and Gary U.S., Arthur Hillbilly Gene King, Mel Torme, the players and coaches of the Miami Dolphins, Billy Graham, Tex Ritter, Tex Ritter. And that's when I woke up. Next week... On the immigrants, the albinos, the pale pink-eyed people. 
this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Vince, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.